Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. Uh, today is part two on You Gotta Have Hope. You know, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Uh, listen, hope overcomes fear. Uh, hope has that, that drive within us. You know, I have a strong moral hope that my wife and I will stay married to each other as long as we shall live. Now, this is based not on a, uh, a math, not on a math equation, not on mathematical laws, uh, or not on merely logic. It is based on the character of our wills and the promise of God. And as you look at these expressions, right, of the character of God's will, uh, right now we've been married for 34 years. Those years are evidence about the nature and the commitment of our wills and the graciousness of God's will. So when we speak about our future, we do not speak in ordinary terms of hope. We don't say, for example, uh, we hope that we don't get divorced. We speak in terms of confidence and certainty because of the character of God-centered hope, God-centered will. It's like an iron, right? We have our confidence in Him. Now, we're going to look at the second part of the message today on hope. But before I go too far, let me kind of repeat what was covered yesterday. I'll give you a real brief summary, okay? Number one, we learned that hope can heal our hurts. And we asked the question, what could happen if I let hope heal my hurts? Peter tells us that after we have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter 5.10. So healing is painful. There's no doubt about it. But if you choose not to heal, it's deadly. Now, the process of going through forgiveness, it is painful. You're giving somebody something they have not earned. You're giving them a gift. That is painful because they may abuse that gift. But if you choose not to forgive, that healing doesn't take place and that lack of healing becomes deadly. You become filled with resentment. You know, you will never get past whatever causes you to lose your hope. Maybe you're listening to me today and says, there's no way I'm going to forgive that person. You are losing your hope. You're losing your hope in forgiveness. I think about Sarah. Sarah was past the age of bearing children in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we had the record of her faith. But she was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. She didn't look on the fact that she was unable to bear children because she was past that childbearing age. She put her faith in the one who was faithful. I remind myself often that God has forgiven me of the unforgivable. And because he has forgiven me of the unforgivable, I also can forgive others of the unforgivable. Now, that doesn't mean I trust everybody. It doesn't mean I have a relationship with everybody, but I can have the capacity to forgive others based on the fact that God has forgiven me. That gives me a lot of hope. We learned, secondly, that hope overcomes fears. Isaiah 41 says, do not fear. Why? Because I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. Why? Because I'm your God. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, when your hope is in Christ, you overcome 
fears. I, by nature, am a fearful person. Uh, that's hard to admit, right? Uh, because as you're listening to me, you said, man, that guy doesn't sound like he's fearful. Uh, but I overcome my fears, not by pumping myself up, but allowing myself to be dependent upon God. He is the one that strengthens me. He is the one that helps me. He is the one who is upholding me by his righteous right hand. You know, when you think about hope, 1 Peter 1.8 reminds us that we are having our hope in the salvation of our souls. Maybe your deepest fear is death. Then your greatest hope should be eternal life. Eternal life, spending that time fellowshipping with the Creator, who is the one who is giving us the salvation of our souls. So today we want to look at Romans chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Romans chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I use a human argument. If God unrighteous to inflict wrath, absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if I live by life in God's truth, it's amplified in His glory. So, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. You see, when I think about the deepest fear that we may have, maybe it is the fear of death. So if that's the case, we must put our trust in Christ. That is where we can be set free from the fear of death. So there's a principle that is given here. And the principle that we should live on is by putting our confidence in Christ. Romans 3, 5, and 6 answers the question in three different effects. And when you have trouble coming your way, effect number one is found in verse number three. Tribulation brings about perseverance. Okay, we have threats to our faith, and we have the occasion for us to lose our hope because tribulation is coming. But Paul says, instead of looking at that tribulation, look at the perseverance that you are being taught in times of tribulation. So threats to our faith are giving us this occasion to put our confidence in Christ so that we can press on during hard times. There's a second effect, found in verse number four. We have that perseverance, and that brings about character. You know, if you persevere at something long enough, it becomes part of your character. When your faith presses on through hard times, it proves itself to be genuine and real. Tribulations prove that faith has given me this way to to go through, kind of like fire tempers steel. That's what pressure does to the believer. It makes us stronger. And it shows us that uh, that we're we're not going to become hard because of this. We're going to become stronger because of this. There's a fourth effect. It is proven character. Proven character brings about hope. If your faith perseveres, it shows that it is toughened steel and it's not melting lead. Then you have more hope. Why? Because you see that you feel and you know that your faith is real. Your faith is like a muscle. The more it is developed, the stronger it gets. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. We are learning to walk by faith. And I've learned to trust God in big things and in little things. And the more you trust him in the little things, 
the more you can trust him in the big things. Recently, I've just done something, and I'm right in the middle of a stretching of my faith, right? And uh, we had the opportunity. We've been thinking about uh, repaving our parking lot uh, for over a year. And we kept putting it off and putting it off. And said, man, that's just a major expense that we uh, kept putting off and putting off. And, and, and this past week or so, within the last two weeks, uh, we've had an opportunity to have our parking lot repaved. Well, we started off doing a small section, and, uh, and now we're at the point where almost all of our parking lots have been repaved. Now, with this was a big step of faith because it was about uh, an $80,000 investment. And uh, we did get a good deal on the, on the paving and all that, and thank the Lord for that. But that's a stretching of our faith. By faith, we took this step, and, uh, and now we're going to trust the Lord that the money is going to come in to cover uh, this much-needed expense. Now, years ago, I would have never done this, right? I would have said, well, we got to wait and see if we can get the money and uh, trust God. Now, and there's a difference between faith and foolishness. I know that, right? Uh, but after 26 years of trusting God, I felt confident that the Lord was in this, right? So, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to trust the Lord that the money is going to come in. So as I think about that, that may be sounding, as you're listening to that, that may be sounding crazy, right? But I know that God comes through. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Hope overcomes fear. I have that strong hope knowing that God is going to provide. I remember when we bought our property many years ago. Uh, It was uh, back in 2001. uh, We purchased 35 acres of land. And I know that some of our congregation was kind of nervous because all of a sudden, now we have a mortgage on this land. And uh, we were just a small congregation. We weren't a strong, thriving congregation. It was a small 50, 60 people. And now we have a payment on a mortgage that's about uh, $1,200 a month. And I remember one of uh, my men coming to me and said, now, Pastor, I'm with you, man. I think we need to buy this land. Uh, But my question is, do we have an extra $1,200 a month in the bank to cover the monthly payment on this mortgage? And I wasn't trying to be cavalier. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. But I says, you know, we don't right now, but we will. And I says, the reason we don't have the $1,200 right now a month to pay is because uh, at that moment, we didn't have the mortgage. But I says that God's work and God's way will never lack God's resources. If God is in this, and we believe he is, if he's leading us in this direction, he will provide and he will come through. And we're not acting foolishly on this, but we are trusting him. There's something about trusting God for a payment, trusting God to take care of your needs. He always comes through. Now, he doesn't come through early. He always is just right on time. And even simple things, like when we went to closing on our property, I remember the Sunday before we were going to close on the property, we had to have $60,000 down for the down payment. We were $10,000 short. And so I led the congregation saying, okay, uh, I had a little cheesy thermometer up there, and it showed that we were $10,000 short. But I said, we're going to go to closing on Friday. And nobody really questioned the fact that we were $10,000 short of what we needed for the down payment. Did you know at the end of that service, there was a man that was visiting our church that particular Sunday. God spoke to him. He came to me at the end of the service. He recommitted his life to Christ, and he hands me a check for $10,000 covering that shortage. 
Now, he didn't know that we were short. I didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about that. That was the first time he was in our church service. And yet he recommitted his life to Christ, and he was led by the Lord to give us that money. That happened on Sunday. We went to closing on Friday. Listen, God's never early, never late, always right on time. So today, maybe you're feeling your hope is diminished. Maybe you're looking at your future, and you're losing your hope in the future. I want you to know, if your faith will preserve, it will become tough as steel. And it will give you the ability to have the hope that you need to go through a difficulty. The Bible is very clear. Do not fear. I am with you, says the Lord. Don't be dismayed. I am your God, says Isaiah in Isaiah 41.10. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Now, this doesn't make sense mathematically, but I want you to know when God pours his love into your heart, you are filled with hope. If fear pushes against the hope and hope doesn't fight back, even the best Christian will fail and the strongest ones will fall. Perseverance and godliness is proof of the genuineness of a person's salvation. Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It's not hoping that something good is going to happen. It is confidence, confident expectation, and that desire that good is going to happen. Biblical hope has a certainty to it. When the word says hope in God, it doesn't mean cross your fingers. It means, to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. What are you expecting from him today? Always choose hope over fear. What could happen if I let hope overcome my sin and the sins of others? I would walk in victory. You say, okay, well, how do I do this? You've got to name the sin. What is that sin that is overcoming you? You see, honesty is always a precursor to victory. Before God and in your conscience, call your sin exactly what it is. Cease all explanations, all excuses for your sins. Just get on your knees and confess that this thing is absolutely opposed to God's character, that it's hurting others, it's destroying you, verbalizing the truth of the matter is vitally necessary. You know, as we do this, it awakens a deeper sensitivity and places your heart in an honest position before God and before yourself. This is how Moses instructed Israel. Leviticus 5.5. He says, it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Now, I think many times we lose our hope because we hang on to sin. We don't go through the process of confessing that sin. Moses is very clear. If you're feeling guilty over matters of sin, that you must confess that you have sinned in that thing. So confess that thing, that specific thing for exactly what it is without reservation, without any kind of justification. That's how we are instructed to confess. 
openly, honestly confess. You know, David gave us an example of total transparency before God. Psalm 32, 5. David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Don't you love the transparency of David? He didn't try to cover his sin. I mean, you can't hide your sin from God. When we're trying to hide our sin, we're trying to hide it from ourselves. When we acknowledge our sin, when we confess our sins, then we receive forgiveness. So number one, name that sin. Be honest and you will be given victory. Number two, decide and act against the sin. You know, there lies within you a God-given power to choose. It's a power no force in the universe can prevail against. Satan himself and all his unholy angels cannot make a man or a woman sin when the will has decided not to. The biblical word for the movement of the will away from sin and toward God is repentance. It basically means a deliberate change of mind and direction. You know the power of the mind. When I was younger, I would set something in my mind and I would determine to do it. I would have the tenacity of a bulldog to do it. And I would go through it and it didn't matter what was opposing me. Isn't it amazing how we can have this drive to do something wrong and then we lose that drive to continue to do something right? Even when it comes to matters of marriage, right? Think about how determined you were to marry that person. And how maybe people advised you against it, but you were determined because you loved that person. It didn't matter what, you were going to marry that person. You set your will, you set your mind, and your desire to marry that person. And so you went through and married that person. But then you married it for a few years. And you begin to lose that desire, that drive, and that determination to stay married to that person. Why don't you pray that God will give you that same drive? that you had when you married that person, that you will still have that drive to be remaining with that person. You see, the moment you decide against sin and you begin to act in a new moral course, you begin to develop new neurological pathways within your brain. Your mind actually begins to take on a new shape. This is what it means to repent. I'm going into a new direction. I'm going to be deliberate in my mind and in my direction in this new direction that I'm going to. It's going to become a habit. It's going to be part of how I process. Paul says literally that we're becoming renewed in the spirit. That is, we're being renewed in the bent or the inclination of our minds. You know, as repentance as a framework of the mind is sustained, as we do this over and over again, a new personhood is formed in the image of Christ. New patterns of thoughts, New feelings, new behaviors, uh, they become easier with every passing day. You become naturalized to and become at home with the character of God. It goes back to deciding to act against sin. Just as sin becomes habit-forming, resisting sin also becomes habit-forming. There's a new spirit that is within you. There is a new mind that is in you. It is the mind of Christ. And as you think like the mind of Christ long enough, it becomes part of the habit of who you are. So we've learned so far, 
if we are going to live in hope, and that hope is going to be able to overcome my sin and the sins that others may commit against me, I must, number one, name the sin. Number two, I must decide against that sin through repentance. And then number three, I must receive power over that sin. You see, no matter how honestly you confess your sin, and no matter how firmly you decide against your sin, your willpower does not innately possess the quality and the kind of power that you need to overcome. There's going to be a day when your willpower is gone, it's diminished. You will become bankrupt in your willpower. You can't just get her done, right? Not when it comes to overcoming sin. So where does this leave us? Well, you are in desperate need of power outside and above yourself to be poured into the moral fiber of your being. You need a steady inflow of a particular kind of power that is not of human origin. That power is not a mysterious thing. It's not a magical wave of energy or, or some kind of miraculous act of, of the divine, uh, like this, this awareness or whatnot. It's simply the power of God. It's the love of God. Let me give you a scriptural backing for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, The love of Christ compels us. He died for us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We are tapping into the power of God. It's not our own willpower. It's the power of God. The most important fight you have is not overcoming suffering, but overcoming sin. You see, we get hung up on the suffering. Our biggest fight is overcoming sin. Martin Luther King Jr. says, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. What is that hope coming to? What is that hope he referred to? It wasn't a hope in humanity. It was an infinite hope found only in Christ. Paul says that love of Christ compels us, drives us forward. You see, there's nothing better than hope for creating a better future. John Piper says, Perseverance in godliness is the proof of the genuineness of a person's salvation. That's how I know that I'm truly born again. I keep persevering. Some would call this the doctrine of the preservation or the perseverance of the saints, that they keep on going regardless of how dire their situation may be, regardless of how difficult people may be to get along with. So I want to give you a challenge. Will you memorize Romans chapter 15 in verse number 13? Romans 15, verse number 13. And I will spend uh, the next few minutes of the broadcast talking about this particular verse. Romans chapter 15, uh, verse number 13. Paul says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling us that we can overflow with hope. God fills us with joy, fills us with hope and peace 
as you believe in him. Our hope begins to diminish as we are believing in ourselves. But if we believe in him, we have joy, we have peace, and it actually overflows by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we will have an excess of hope that overflows and fills others with hope. That's the challenge today. Memorize this verse, Romans 15, 13. My brothers and sisters, drive home this truth. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, please spend the time looking at God's word today. The love of Christ will compel you to never again lose hope. So if I can pray for you today, would you shoot me a quick text message? Just say, hey, would you pray for me? Here's the nature of my prayer request. The number is 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. I would love to pray for you by name, uh, by uh, your prayer concern today. May the God of hope fill you with all hope as you trust in him. That number one more time, if you'd like to shoot me a quick text, 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.